Greetings, fellow travelers, and welcome to The Way of the Showman, where we view the world through the lens of showmanship. And this whole season is exploring what that actually means. Um, my name is uh, Captain Frodo, and I am your gracious host and guide along the way. Since uh, last time, Norway, since last time we spoke, uh, Norway has uh, finally cancelled all the um, rules and regulations for uh, COVID and uh, the corona, which was just as well because I was uh, getting tired of the whole event. People have uh, had their share of it and now the vaccination rates have gone really high and they continue to climb. And although we have uh, uh, not quite gone within the two first weeks, the the numbers are still going down of transmissions and uh, the numbers in the hospitals uh, are still very low comparatively to what they have uh, been and what they are other places so um, it appears it is all working out just excellently the same has happened in denmark and as i spoke to my friend there bonbon the clown he uh, was saying the same i got how is it going as they have opened up everything all circuses and everything are doing a thriving business traditional and non-traditional alike and people are hanging out in huge gatherings with no distance between the seats and uh, he said I don't know how it is happening but uh, the numbers are not increasing so there they have gone beyond the first two weeks which is a bit of a critical period where you will see whether people's change behavior will make a spike but even when the numbers go up here the hospitalizations and everything stays uh, low so that has meant that um, the pre-Christmas season shows have already started to pick up and the Christmas season here is looking to be very good. So it's uh, very, very lovely to see that this whole vaccination thing has actually worked out brilliantly. Yeah, and uh, I, I feel like landing in Norway here is now finally really settling into be a a good thing it was a good choice to remain in europe as much as it is um good for me like, like it's it's difficult to be in one small place then you have to do a wider variety of things to be able to stay and not have to tour um continuously and that has been brilliant for me i've been doing gigs for predominantly adult audiences i've stepped into doing some more spoken word slash uh, uh, stand-up comedy i mean it hasn't got the rate of laughs that the full stand-up show has but uh, i'm moving into new territories in my adult shows and my family shows are going well and as i've mentioned previously on this podcast i've started to do birthday parties and i'm developing a show specifically for that so creativity is very high and that is all very good and um Coming on to the topic of um, this here podcast, uh, the up until now, I guess um, most of the things we've talked about has um, to could say to be a little bit abstract. They are foundational, as I like to think of it. It's the way that I view the world, because this whole way of the showman is really it's the way that I see the world, and it's me giving you. Um, things to think about but also to kind of give you an in-depth view of uh, how I see the world I just look through some old diaries that I find here from my first sort of years of traveling to 
Australia. And there too, I said, oh, well, I'm about to go to Australia now and hanging out with the Space Cowboy and Shep Huntley. And, and uh, yeah, that'll probably mean that I will uh, finally start to read a little less and just uh, hang out and be in the moment a little more. So I'd forgotten that that was a thing back then, but apparently I've always had a voracious appetite for reading and a constant stack of books where I always just feel like I just got to hurry through this one so I can get to this next one or whatever. Anyway, up until now, I would say that um, the ideas that I've been presenting has been to give a foundation to start working towards what we are starting on today and what we're going on woods with um, next week we're getting into the heart of the matter we're getting right into showmanship and today we are going to look at the anatomy of a show and also we're going to tie that a little bit together with what we talked about last time and I guess all up until now has been a bit to get you a um, that slightly altered well not maybe it's not altered to what anyone else has but my particular view of the world and of what I do. So, uh, last time um, we spoke very kind of in-depth on rather philosophical matters with uh, looking at ways to make a shorthand for uh, what the human condition could said to be and uh, after talking in-depth about what I, how I imagine the process of perception or how, how we actually perceive anything in the world after we talked about that how the world kind of comes towards you and I'm meeting it as well with something in me and that there is a kind of dialogue going on there then we kind of honed in on three different faculties human faculties that I see reflected in all aspects of life be it culture or um, or work or um, interpersonal relationships and that are that is the aspects of uh, feeling thinking and willing so it's the emotions that we meet the world with that colors everything that we meet and it is the thoughts that we make and the concepts that we introduce to um, place on on things that basically is that part of that conversation we have with the world where we are placing things onto it and placing it into a system that we understand even though when the world is coming at us it's kind of a manifold it has multiple possibilities just like a script has if, if we're taking a what's the classic script something from um, Shakespeare and a particular scene uh, it remains there open to so much interpretation it is just one thing the words that are there but spoken and emphasized and presented in in different ways will release the kind of manifold in the unity that is there so I think that's our particular thinking and perhaps also the way that we feel about things will uh, allow us to connect through to different aspects of that work that's maybe why when we watch a show uh, at one point in our life or read a book in one point of our life it uh, will appear in one way and then we will connect more or less deeply to it as we change and maybe read that in a later and read the same book another time and find something quite different um, and the will are a uh, desires to do stuff and act in the world that um, is certainly um, a kind of it's, it's another faculty of what we want but it's also connected to or inspired by or driven by or whatever the what we think and what we feel so having looked at those if you're interested in more about remembering more of those then just uh, go back and listen to last week's 
episode. And um, yeah, yet again, I just say I've had some brilliant feedback again from uh, uh, people out there. Uh, and it's uh, been very good. Uh, Morgan James and uh, David Trapp, I'm really excited to be chatting along and hearing from you and from all those others out there. Thanks for the encouragement. And uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, if there's anyone out there who appreciates this, then. Um, Feel free to go over to Captain Frodo at uh, buymeacoffee.com and uh, drop me a little uh, um, the funds for a coffee or two. Anyway, I hadn't said that for a little while, so um, I thought I'd drop it in again. And uh, with uh, that, I believe it is time to move on to the world of ideas. The Anatomy of a Show or as a, this was called when I was uh, initially thinking about it, the constituents of a show. But of course, uh, I am. that makes more sense as you have read it, but I thought The Anatomy of a Show might be a better title for this episode. Now, the show is the pivotal part of the showman's craft. It's what everything else revolves around. It is the one thing upon which everything else revolves. It is to the showman what music is to the musician, what poetry is to the poet, the alpha and omega of what makes a performer what he or she is. The show is the vehicle for the showman to present themselves, their thoughts, desires, wants, wishes and ideas to the world. It's how a performer connects to the world and how we together with the audience's participation brings something truly human into the world. Shows are so important that I will talk about it in brief here, even though the main chapter or the main episode on shows, maybe that'll be two episodes, I don't know, uh, but that will come later when we explore the, the uh, pillars of uh, showmanship. Another reason for this introductory glimpse is that there is a strong connection between what I call a show's constituents and the three human faculties of thinking, feeling and doing, or the will, which we just looked at in the last episode. For a show is an organic process, not a fixed and finite thing, so that anything we say about it, any attempt at pinning it down, needs to be flexible enough um, and to leave enough uh, room for constantly expanding and living ideas. And I think this is because all works of art, be it music, circus, poems or paintings, can be understood only if we appreciate that they are um, more like people than texts, concepts or things. They are more like uh, people than texts, concepts or things. We'll explore this further in a chapter called A Process and Not a Thing. If we if we accept that a person is a better analogy for a show than a rock is, then it's only natural that we should be able to find strong parallels for the three human faculties in shows, if we look, if we look for them. So what we are back at here is a kind of Mac, Mac making, map making. Um, we're making a map of shows. After the grand attempt. Uh, uh, last episode of breaking human nature into uh, manageable chunks, one would think that mapping shows should be a much easier task. 
Yet, all who have ever given any consideration to what constitutes a show will know this is not an easy task. This simple ontological question, if there is such a thing as a simple ontological question as to the nature of something, then we know that the simple, even though we think it's a simple question, it rapidly comes up against combinatorially, <laughs> combinatorially explosive possibilities. Uh, you start thinking and then everything goes off in every direction and you are left with not knowing anything at all. A show can be so many different things. It can be someone playing the cello. It can be a person sitting still with their hand sewn stuck to their face. It can be a community theatre production of Roald Dahl's uh, The Witches. It can be one woman telling jokes for one hour or a ballet production with a symphony orchestra playing Prokofiev. There are also endless edge cases. Is a car crash gathering a crowd a show? Are acts of terrorism examples of supremely dark theatre, as Yuval Noah Harari explores in his article Theatre of Terror? Can we say 9-11 was a kind of theatrical display created to induce maximum amount of fear and terror on a limited budget? Maybe not, maybe yes, yet we can learn a lot about awful events like this and some fam fabulous events in the world by looking at them through the lens of showmanship or theatre. Whatever else it might be, it's uh, certainly complex. At first glance, this question as to what makes up a show, what is a show, might seem abstract. Asking about a show's ontology or nature of being is a deeply philosophical question, but I would argue that thinking about this and the map I eventually pieced together of a show's territory is and has been, to me, highly practical and useful. In circus and cabaret, every act and every artist is different. Serving as an act director or act doctor for more than a decade of touring with La Soiree, I needed to be able to help anyone, regardless of what they were doing in their acts. Uh, I needed to uh, find a way to think about shows that wasn't using language or concepts related specifically to one thing. I couldn't talk to a singer or a musician using juggling terms. Each skill, magic, music, singing, whip-cracking, clowning and so forth, has their own specialized language. And what I sought was a map that would fit all those different terrains, so that it was useful to acts and artists of all kinds. A map which was just zoomed out enough that it gainfully described aspects they all shared, even when the details varied and I was after a completely interdisciplinary approach. I was convinced that there were more connecting the different arts than what separated them. And when I work on my own material, it's a <clears throat> highly organic process. I don't always think about it intellectually, but if I ever get stuck, then having a good map or rather a good process can help me get out if I get stuck in a bog along the way. And looking at an empty page in my notebook or standing in a corner of a rehearsal room wondering what to do, my head can get so filled with endless possibilities that it gives me choice paralysis. Or sometimes the opposite is also true. I might stare at the page and finding my, um, my mind completely blank. So yeah, that's two aspects of the same thing, I guess. And if I'm working on my own and get stuck and decide to just give up and read instead, then that's 
a lazy decision, but ultimately it's okay. I'm the boss of me and only answerable to myself. But if I'm working as a director or co-creator with someone else, though, then it's a whole other game. When I'm directing, I see myself as a kind of guide, just as I do in this podcast, that should be able to point and direct someone to where they want to go, um, or go there together with them. And ideally, that should be by being able to point out different routes and show them different territories that they might go through to improve their journey. And a good guide has to have good maps for any kind of territory the creation might venture into. And this was the impetus for this map or way of looking at uh, shows. I see it as my obligation to be able to offer a process which facilitates and expedites the creative process that can get whomever I am working with out of whatever slump they're in or improve their speed, range or scope if they're already in a flow state. So what are these constituents? What is this territory that I have discovered that uh, fits over? Uh, yet again, when I say it, it might not um, sound at the beginning as uh, something revolutionary, which it actually isn't. I'm just pointing out things, aspects that I always see are there. And uh, I have found these uh, constituents of a show, and I found that they can be arrived at by asking three just very simple questions who, what, and how. It's almost like a, what the journalists do, or whatever. Asking who is doing it, what are they doing, and how are they doing it. Who is doing it? I call the answer to this character. There's a character doing something. And what is being done? And I call what's being done material. And how it's put together, the way that it's put together, I call structure. So that leaves us with character, material and structure as the three constituents of a show. What I've called the map is made up of these three aspects, character, material and structure. And in a sentence, a show is made up of the material presented, the structure given to what's presented and the character presenting it. So just spoken plainly like that it doesn't mean very much the words have obviously been filled with a lot of meaning from me and it being my way so i'm gonna sort of talk through these three constituents in brief we'll visit it further on as well but we'll start with looking at character what is a character when an audience watches a show there has to be a showman or a performer on the stage the stage can be many things in the real world or even a virtual one uh, particularly now with the pandemic that's become a real thing um, if it's like you know internet or television but a showman or a person performing manifests in the show as what i call a character the character is whomever is showing an audience anything and it can be someone doing a show for the first time, but mostly I think of character as a carefully developed and crafted presentation or representation representation of the person performing. The character is made up of whatever aspect of oneself that one chooses to present, or that just some of the things have been carefully planned, and often there are bits of the person's true self or natural tendencies shining through into the performance. 
And one reason a character can't express a full representation of someone is that time is limited, and in any performance only certain aspects of a person can be displayed in the allotted time. A character can be very different from a performer's usual self, yet in the world that I mostly perform in, circus performers, sideshow artists, comedians and street performers, the characters presented are often hovering close enough for the artist to call their character sort of a, a representation of themselves or displaying and amplifying certain aspects of themselves. Sometimes actors in theatre or movies displays characters that are wildly different from themselves, although even with actors whose stock in trade is to be able to portray different people, we often find um, that a particular actress or actor might have a certain range of roles which they excel at portraying convincingly. Creating a character or working on a character is to shape the presentation of the person whom the audience meets in the show. The character is their main point for connecting to the show. The most powerful connections are made through feelings. We react emotionally to what we see. Any experience triggers feelings in us, as we spoke about last episode. And in a show we can connect to the set design, the props or the costumes, but in the end all of this falls flat if we don't connect to the character presenting the show. One exception here might be music. It is absolutely possible to enjoy the music from a pianist who is completely unknown. This might be because a pianist playing a Beethoven sonata is most effective when they, in a sense, become invisible. When you forget anything about the difficulty or of the piece or the clothes that the pianist is wearing or where they were before, and the entire experience becomes all about the music when everything disappears and all you hear is the actual score, the actual song, you know, not just the notes played, but what appears when it all comes together. So anyway, this, I guess, that music becomes then another example of an edge case of what a show is, hence the edgy nature of a, perhaps the performer um, can be invisible. But of course, there too, just like with the uh, extreme enjoyment people might have from having a violinist play that they all know that's world famous and everything, that increases, of course, the expectation to everything and, and uh, the emotional connection that you get perhaps they're playing a Stradivarius which is an extraordinarily um, mythical instrument so if they're all playing that as well then you might end up um, having a greatly amplified experience um, uh, and that is perhaps not something which can be measured and weighed or technically found in a room uh, I've spoken about this previously but anyway I'm getting off the topic a little bit emotions and feelings are the most reliable way humans connect, not just to shows, but also to each other and the world. Thoughts and ideas can also be compelling, but shows driven entirely by ideas hover somewhere in the domain of lectures. And personally, I love the lecture format. If I'm scrolling on YouTube and see a lecture on human evolutionary history or hermeneutic philosophy, consciousness or the like with a title, which is nothing but an intriguing idea, it's like clickbait for me. The matter with things, our brains, our delusions and the unmaking of the world, I'll click on that. Metaphors we live by, oh yeah. Embodied cognition or analogy as the core of cognition, all this stuff has me pining to grasp those ideas. 
I'm absolutely compelled by well thought through and presented ideas, and I get emotional kicks out of grasping large conceptual concepts or frameworks of ideas. But I know this drive to gain this kind of knowledge is far from a universal common. It's rarely lectures dominate what's trending at any given time. The most reliable way for an audience to connect to a show is through feeling, and we decidedly form the strongest relations to the performer performing. Character is the central focus and conveyor of feelings. Pure displays of gymnastic skill or juggling tricks can hold the general public's interest, but if similar, possibly even less perfect skills are done by a charismatic performer, chances are more people will connect deeper with her. I really appreciate technical skill, I really do, but having spent my career always keeping one leg in the domain of entertainment, it is my experience that great skill can always be enhanced by a strong character. Of course, this is never a case of either or. There will always be elements of each of the three constituents present, whether you want it or not, since, as I said in the beginning of this chapter, all shows are made up of these three constituents to a greater or lesser extent. That's just part of their anatomy. A character presenting material in the structure is what makes up a show, and it will be found in the show even if one have put no thought at all into anything but physical skill. The audience will still experience the character and the structure, and failing to put effort into all of these three is never of benefit to the show as a whole. So, let's look at the material. A character in a show must necessarily be doing something. Whatever that character does and presents is what I call material. Even if you're doing nothing, you're doing something. You're actually doing nothing. So, what did he do? He did nothing. For the whole show? Yeah. Theoretically, there are no limits to what is presented, what can be presented in shows. It's very easy to get lost in all the details and examples. Juggling, dramatic plays, dance, monologues, jokes, mime, music, magic, ventriloquism, ritual cleansing, hoop dances, sign language, poetry, spoken poetry, puppetry, to name a few. The limitations come from what you want your show to do. If you're doing an art piece in a gallery, you can get away with different things than if your gig is in a shopping mall or a, on a street, and each venue and setting brings with it its own expectations in the audience. So, material is whatever it is that you're actually doing in the show. So, moving on to structure. And here I have written something that's always good to remember, and that is that beginnings and ends are of particular importance, and so are middles. For a character to be able to present their material, decisions needs to be taken about how that material will be presented. And I call this ordering and organization aspect, organizational aspect, I call that structure. Even in a fully improvised show, there is a structure. Something mm, happens first, and then something else happens, and so on. And whether intuitively decided in the moment or carefully planned, anything presented in a show mm, has a structure or actually becomes the structure as it just happened. And a, a show happens in time. It takes time to perform a show. 
And as a temporal process, any show has a beginning, a middle, and an end. There is a time when there isn't a show, and then there is a show, and that moment when in that transition, that's the start. And then the show goes on, and that's the middle, and then at some point there is no show. There's, there's no more show, and that means that the show is over. That is the end. Each of these three can be divided up infinitely into scenes, acts, moments, or whatever one chooses to call them, tricks, sequences, and so forth. Curtains go up, and the character is there, or she enters the stage soon after. And once she's there, she will present her first trick or song or whatever material she has prepared or whatever hits her in that moment. But the choice, um, mainly here, I'm thinking of people who are not doing improvised shows or just getting out there and just seeing if something happens. When we are performing in the way that I am, then um, the kind of gigs that I get, they don't allow for that kind of work, unless you specifically are an improviser, but then you will already understand what it is that I'm talking about. Because the, the, when she starts presenting a material, the choices she has taken, be it the music she has chosen, the order of the different musical pieces um, that is going to be in the show, if there are more than one, what she says, this all needs to be considered, placed, ordered and edited. The themes of the show, if there are any, must be contemplated and the artist must must always ask herself like the many ways that these themes can be expressed and their order and form must be decided on and each aspect of the performance can be structured if we are using music in our acts we should give thought to what impact each song will have on the audience is it slow cool funny sexy whatever it expresses will influence the audience experience and will uh, the order that they are in will shape the journey um, they have of the, the the journey they have in interacting with the show. The material in each act must also be shaped. If you're doing a skill act, an old adage says, "Do your second best trick first, and your best trick last, and put the rest in the middle." That's one way of structuring something. Chekhov, the playwright, apparently said, "If in the first act you have hung a pistol." on the wall, then in the following one it should be fired. Otherwise, don't put it there. So this is important. Each uh, decision that you take, each element introduced along the way sets up expectations. And if you can fulfill or break those expectations in interesting, beautiful and clever ways, you are well on the way for understanding and using and mastering structure. Another old adage about um, Structuring juggling acts is high, low, fast, slow, like the most attention-grabbing thing, assuming that your audience has no, they're just looking at you juggling and you juggle something high, a low trick and then a fast trick and then a slow trick. And these are examples of tried and tested ways for structuring acts and shows. Each assumes a whole lot and if you choose to go with them as structural elements of your acts, your whole show will get a certain feeling. If you and you can each one can be each piece of the whole must be considered both as a piece uh, on its own but also as a piece uh, of a whole we can't get to the whole without the pieces but the pieces is always part of the whole in philosophy this phenomenon is called the hermeneutic circle this refers to the dialogue <laughs> dialogical relation between the part and the whole 
when you're trying to understand anything at all. Because to understand a sentence, we have to understand all the individual words, but some words might have different meaning, and the combined meaning of all the words put together makes a sentence, and this builds into a larger meaning from where you again have to go back and look at individual words. So we have to keep the whole in mind to understand the parts, and also keep the parts in mind to understand the whole. What's important to remember, I think, is that there is structure to be found and developed at any level, any scale, any way you zoom in or zoom out. The show is a living thing and can be broken apart like fractals. Personally, I find that when I am presenting new work, the first attempts of structure are even though they're at the edge of what I can think of at that time, when I present it the first time, they are quite coarse and painted in broad brushstrokes. And then, through repeat performances, I refine this structure. Um, all this is a little bit abstract. So, um, a few years ago, uh, as an example, I'll talk about something I did. A few years ago, I, I made a new sword-swallowing act. And I magically, in the act, I started by magically producing a cucumber, then I stuck it into a fez that I was wearing strapped under my chin, and then I chopped the cucumber that was sticking out of my hat into a few pieces, and then finally I swallowed the sword. And um, that structure has remained the same until now. I still do that routine. That's big, straightforward structure, even if what I do is actually quite absurd. So I performed that act the first time in a season with La Soiree at a Sydney Opera House for, I can't remember when that was, maybe 2010 or 11 or something, or maybe 11. Anyway, then I performed it after that for another season with Circus Nemo, and after those seasons and the shows in between, I would probably have done it about 200 times or so. And the level of details and structures within structures that I had found was manifold what I had initially placed into the routine in the beginning and the way I the way I entered looking like a magician um, after the 200 shows now I had uh, added the disappearing cane a disappearing cane that poof, disappears and there's a bunch of confetti that goes out disappears out and now I had a flashy start and this start reinforced the audience's expectation that not only did I look like a magician in a tailcoat a tuxedo and a turban but indeed I also did magic tricks. Um, and then um, they just thought, that, okay, now he's a magician. And then I had um, give them that expectation that I am a magician, which I then went on to do by producing a large silk from my mouth and finally a cucumber from the silk. But them now thinking that I was a magician, they had now set up an expectation that I could then break. And when I did this um, season with Circus Nemo, the show order and the way that it was set up made it difficult for the stagehands to come onto the stage before the next act started to remove these cucumber pieces that I left behind after chopping the cucumber sticking out of my fez, which I had underneath the turban. So that I removed them and revealed I had it was a man wearing many hats, two hats indeed. And uh, anyway, so... So they asked me if I could chop, if there was any way that I could chop the cucumber sort of close to the edge of the stage so I wouldn't be in the way for the next act. And this gave me the idea 
to chop the cucumber and flick it as I chopped it, sending the pieces uh, flying out uh, into the audience. And this was like a gift from the clown guards. A lot fell into place when I started doing that because the chopping of the cucumber had never actually been a highlight of the act when I uh, was standing in the center of the stage. It was a little bit anticlimactic. It was, it was just a thing that happened. It wasn't something that brought something new or whatever. And it being at the sort of just past the half um, half mark or whatever, three quarters mark, there's like something new needs to happen now. It's, ob it's obviously odd to have a fella just uh, chop a cucumber sticking out of his hat, but there wasn't really anything surprising about it. Once you chop the first one, they go, all right, he knows how to chop without looking and whatever. But the structure of the act or the expectation of the audience, which had built for about three quarters of the act now, needed something more. And once each chop instead sent a piece of cucumber flying towards the crowd, they were all squealing and carrying on, reaching their hands up and everyone in a certain group would be trying to make sure that the cucumber bits uh, didn't hit them in the head. As I moved around the ring, sending cucumber pieces flying out through the tent, there was a real, literal and direct um, interaction with the crowd. It was kind of scary and exciting, not hugely scary, but there was a real chance that you'd get a slice or sometimes a considerable chunk of cucumber in your face. So that woke the crowd right up. This came, this became the thing which really solidified that original structure that I had. Now everything built so strongly towards this odd chopping skill and odd kind of audience participation that in a crazy comedy show like what Circus Nemo is, the audience would not have been surprised if that uh, chopping was the end of the act. So now the sword swallower bit, the sword swallow became what I felt was just a perfect ending. And a perfect ending is something which is inevitable, yet surprising. Something that came when it happens, they go, oh, of course that would have to happen, but it still was a surprise. And I finish chopping and I go into the center of the stage and I put the tip of the sword into my mouth after finishing flinging the cucumber pieces out into the audience. And then the act in that instance, when I put the tip of the sword into my mouth, uh, it changed from a magic cucumber slicing comedy into a sword swallowing act. When I placed the tip into my mouth and looked at them all knowingly, there would be a gasp as they realized that it had been building towards this the whole time, but they just hadn't seen it. Um, I describe all of this to show how structure develops and matures. Small choices and changes, like slicing the cucumber into audiences' faces and as opposed to just letting them fall down around myself, that perfected that original broad outline of the structure I had started with. The original structure hadn't really altered since the start, but by constantly re-examining the impact it was having on the audience and with some help from happy accidents and requests from the management, I landed at a stronger version of the initial structure. This is the reason why I always say to someone who is making a new act that the creation is never finished and you won't really know what you have until you've performed your act a hundred times. And at the end of that, the act might be so similar in its broad strokes that anyone who saw it back then in 2011 and saw it again now go, yes, that's it. I've added a 
some things to it. I changed the music, which of course also changed the structure of the act because any piece of music carries with it its own carefully crafted structure. I had also changed my character from being silent and kind of slow moving to a high energy and shouting character. The music was a thumping Balkan beat track and the words I shouted was not a normal text, only snippets of vibe and atmosphere centered around a theme of mystery. I also introduced a bit where I would get one of the pull the last bit of the cucumber out and give it to a person in the audience to hold so that I would chop it in their hand and I'd put a blindfold on and hilarity would ensue and still does. Anyway, it doesn't matter if your material consists of jokes, eccentric dancing, quick painting, improvisation, mime, magic or origami. You will have to present your material in an uh, order um, as time forbids everything happening at once. And since structure is my answer to how the material is presented, it also encompasses other aspects than the strict sort of ordering sequence of things. So other decisions on how the material is presented includes things like the music chosen for acts, soundscapes, the lighting, the conceptual themes, symbolic content explored, and also narrative or story. Things like a callback in a stand-up comedian's set, when a joke is referring back to another joke told previously in the set, there are also structural aspects. Callbacks extend beyond individual jokes um, and sort of bring things together. And this concept also exists in literature and there in a fancy way they call it internal illusions when something which has been talked about previously or shown earlier gets brought back up and in lieu of what has happened in the interim it's now changed or the meaning of it uh, becomes expanded on or that it's just hilarious that you thought you were talking of one thing and by just mentioning something again it changes um, what you have just said another aspect of the structure is the audience's experience and I would argue that this is the actual core of why we need structures. We need structure and to hone it through each showing of our work to maximize the impact and emotional resonance it has on an audience. There are story structures that are thousands of years old. We human beings have certain stories that we love. They exist across cultures and time and only character and settings changes. One example of this is what Joseph Campbell describes in his book The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And his theory is that the different mythologies of the world, the Greek and the Norwegian and the, the Hopi and all these and the Aboriginal, that there are aspects of these that share many deep fundamental structures. This book and theory famously was a big part of George Lucas's inspiration for creating Star Wars. This structure that he found is often called the hero's journey, which is based on a sort of grand structure of departure, initiation and return. A reluctant hero forced into a situation, he meets a teacher, steps right up and eventually he steps up and fights Darth Vader or something along those lines. It's always beneficial to consider 
what do you want your audience's uh, emotional experience to be? What is their journey going to be like? We might want a structure to our show which intrigues the audience into getting interested and then proceeds to shock them with how this initial interest is subverted and then going into a synthesis of the two, like a seventh sliding up to the full octave in a music piece. The examples of structure are plentiful and a worthwhile area for, for study something to look into, look at looking into song structures, story structures, actual routes geographical from one place to another that can inspire a structure, or how classical musical pieces are uh, structured. All of this might serve as examples to inspire you to make an act or a show that takes the audience on some interesting journey. So, to summarize, um, the showman is a curator of time and attention. The audience gives you their time and attention and you shape that. You fill the time and shape their attention with the way you structure what you do. And you are the character and what you do is the material and uh, how you choose to structure it is the structure. A show consists of a character presenting material in a structured way. The character then explains the who question the material explain, explains the what question, and structure explains the how question. And everything I do is got the audience in mind. So let's uh, touch briefly on the audience now, but let's take another quick sidestep to talk a little more about the audience, lest we forget them, for we are, after all, doing all of this for them. It is the audience which makes what we do meaningful. They make it all come together and make sense. The audience gives the show a reason to exist and a showman purpose in his existence. The material presented in a show is often completely meaningless and useless except for in a performance situation. Through the audience watching a character presenting any kind of material in a beautiful and engaging structure, a show becomes one of the most meaningful and meaning-bearing processes a human being can ever experience. This is why a showman must always keep the audience and their inner lives and reflections in mind when creating or performing. By always asking oneself what you do will be experienced and understood from their point of view, it will help guide and direct the shaping of the three constituents. How the character behaves is shaped by his interactions with the audience. If they lose interest, if they don't understand what's going on, if you fail to connect, the character aspect might need to be examined. The structure is created to have the best possible impact and connection with the audience. The to best express the showman's idea and to make his skills make sense and enrich the audience and take them on a solid and good and exciting journey. The material is chosen because it is something the showman thinks worthy not just of his own but also of the audience's time and attention. So we've now looked at the who, what and how question. So about shows. So now let's take a quick look at uh, some other W questions, uh, namely when and where. The time and space questions, and what I think about those. And um, when. Let's look at when. 
from physics, we learn that space and time are so closely intertwined that they can't really be separated. Until Albert Einstein wrote down his theory of special real relativity on the back of used envelopes when he was working in a patent office in Bern, Switzerland, it was assumed that the three-dimensional geometry of the universe, its spatial expression in terms of coordinates, you know, like distance and directions, that this part of the universe was independent of time. In his relativity theory, time and space were then inseparably combined. The three dimensions of space and the single dimension of time were fused into space-time. One thing, a four-dimensional thingamajig. Pardon the technical language here. And what I am saying is that time and space are closely related and in fact it seems to be part of the same thing or part of the same process of being. I think it's more complicated and you can look at this in many different ways but for now this will suffice. And since a show only is a show when there is an audience present to watch, the when question is in the most direct no-frills way. The answer is answered by now. When? Now. A show happens now. The show is when a showman stands before a crowd and is showing them something. Be that showman a juggler or an acrobat or an actor, the show is happening in the exact moment the exchange of attention happens between a performer and audience. Some shows, of course, like plays, let's say a particular production of Hamlet, is set around 1180 uh, in Denmark. The actions in the show takes place hundreds of years ago, but that is not the reality of when the show is happening, because the show is, of course, happening right there and right then in the theater before whomever is watching. So what then is 1180? Well, as I see it, the 1180, as a year 1180 aspect of Hamlet, is part of the material presented. And I think it's just why I'm talking about this is that it's like the, you might have a time that the show is supposed to happen or whatever, but the reality of it must never be forgotten that there's an audience sitting now watching an experience. That's the real truth of the matter. And um, that belongs in the 11 year 1180, which is apparently when uh, Hamlet is set, that is uh, part of the material. So look at where. In a similar way, the show happens here. It happens now and it happens here, in the exact space where the audience is gathered, where the performance space is located. And here too, the setting of the play, say Helsingborg, Denmark, as in our production of Hamlet, is also part of the material, part of the script. The fact that Hamlet is a prince living in the Kronborg castle is part of the script and part of what's presented on the stage. There's nothing stopping a director from changing the setting of Hamlet from Denmark to Los Angeles. But still, the show as a phenomenon, as a real-world phenomenon, would still happen for real in the theatre where the actors and the audience are together. And in almost all theatre, the play is set somewhere else than at the stage before the front of the row of the theatre seats. For this to work, the audience suspends their disbelief. The production is set up to aid the suspension with scenery and costumes and 
brilliant actors and so forth, making you feel like you're in uh, that you're in 1180 at the castle. Most circus and showmanship uh, performances there una- unapologetically happens on the stage in front of the rows of seats in the center of the ring, right before their very eyes, or in many cases in the back of you know a restaurant for someone's 40th birthday or at an office Christmas party. Most of the time, these shows happen with very little suspension of disbelief. The audience doesn't have to pretend or imaginally allow themselves to be transported to medieval Denmark, whilst in fact they are in a theatre in the heart of London's West End or in the back of a pub somewhere. When the circus ringmaster enters the ring and introduces the next act, he is bringing in a real showman into a real sawdust-filled performance space situation, right in front of the crowd. It happens there and then, here and now, right here, right now, as the dance floor poet Fat Boy Slim put it so eloquently back in 1998. A circus act of showmanship can happen in a circus ring, and of course it can still be set in an igloo on Greenland where Roald Amundsen is baffled by a shaman using magic tricks in his sacred ritual. It can be a handyman needing to change a light bulb and then doing a freestanding ladder act. But that does not change the immediacy of the here and now reality of the performance. So, the answer to the where question is always on the most fundamental level here. And the answer to the when question is now. So now, before we finish, let's look at some preliminary links to how these show constituents link together with the human faculties that we spoke about in the last episode. Because the human faculties of feeling and thinking and doing relate to the show's three constituents. Um, and for now, we'll, I'll just point out that these links, what we talked about last time of thinking, feeling, and will is connected, so the character is connected to feeling. Character is the center of feeling or the main uh, anchor for feeling in a show and the material is connected to the doing and the will to master something your material is something which you do it's an active thing and the structure is as i see it more related to thinking by being a more abstract and intellectual aspect you have to think a little bit more and think yourself into and to the mind of the audience for instance And of course, all of this is greatly simplified, as all maps are. All faculties can, of course, be found in and relating to each of the constituents. But as I see it, the links above, the character to feeling, the material to doing and will and structure, how that is related to thinking, um, this is the most direct ones so that we can have a shorthand to immediately connect an act or a show to deeper human faculties, this this gives me a great double-layered map. And all great acts place across the dual spectrums of well-balanced and developed material, character and structure. This is also the case across the human faculties. I believe emotions and thoughts are relevant aspects to consider even when we aim to create the simplest of trick-present skill acts. Even if an act's aim is to only present skill, emotions still come into it. If you want to make a deep impression on your audience, 
You should think through the structure and develop your character to create an emotional response and connections with your audience. If your actor leaves them completely cold and uninterested, it might be that you've neg neglected the emotional aspects of character or the emotional impact a certain music might have if brought on at a certain time in the act. The three constituents and the three human faculties will be present in any act or show. Your audience is made up of thinking, feeling and wanting beings, which means they will connect to you on all those three levels, if they can find them, because they are there and depending on their inclinations they will find them or look for them or not. And even if they're not doing it on a, on a, in a conscious way, but it will still hit them. There will be aspects of each of these things, but how in your acts, but how well developed or present each of them are, and with that, like the ability you have to connect to them on a, an emotional level and on a, an ideas level and on a will and and impressive both where you doing something and also possibly to ignite their will to, to do something. Um, all of this, how well developed and present each of these are in your act is up to you, up to the performer. A show has the aspects of thinking, feeling and doing woven into its ontology through the aspects of structure, character and material. But just like there's always room for a human being to grow, it's also always possible for a show to further mature and grow as a person. And there we have it. And that's the end of another exciting episode here of The Way of the Showman. It's been a pleasure having you along for this leg of the journey. Uh, this time it's probably been a little bit more practical, sort of stuff you can take out and start thinking about. And uh, hopefully today I've sort of given you a glimpse of... Uh, the structural kind of content in here and of course these are just sort of little little um what can you call it little anchors for you to connect uh, certain concepts to just things to to increase the scope of what it is that you do and to keep in mind as you're creating work and uh, yeah uh, that's uh, that's all all there is about the philosophical content and uh, I just like again say to th thank you for uh, coming along on the journey and uh, if you know somebody then it would be excellent if you could tell just one person or three that this podcast exists and we can uh, get more people excellent brilliant beautiful and good-looking people such as yourself along on this uh, journey and uh, that is all that I have to say for today so that means all that's left to say is take care of yourself and those you love, and I hope to see you along the way.